White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 548. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And we're back with another installment of the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, the podcast with the longest name in podcasting, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for this episode-by-episode review series by my co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, Van. How are you doing tonight? Very good, very good. I'm excited to do three more episodes of Season 1. I'm telling you, I'm enjoying Season 1 so much, I'm almost sorry to see it go. What do you... Right. I, you know what? I agree totally because I am, I've gained a whole new appreciation for, uh, mm-hmm. for uh, Sinclair. Yes. Um, and, and it, it, yeah, it, I, I know the changes that are coming, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a little sad to, to turn the page on to uh, season two. It's, it's, it's really strange because as much as I love what's coming in season two and the, and the cast of that, of that season and everything, I've... You know, season one is almost like its own separate show. The stakes are a lot lower. It's more yep. episodic in a way, and it has and it's 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 just a very different animal from the rest of the series. And I think that when people are caught up in the big story of the rest of the series, they look back at season one and go, "Eh, season one, you can take it or leave it. It's kind of you know whatever." But when you're in the middle of season one. And you're not even thinking about what's to come. You're just enjoying, you know, taking them as they come, like we did back in the '90s. There's a lot to appreciate, and like I said, I'm just I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss the season one. The, I'm going to miss the TV show that Babylon Five season one was because it really becomes a different show as it goes forward. Right. So yeah, right. It, and you know, it, it, as much as we love the the novelization that the the five seasons of Babylon Five are, I think it would be very interesting to see how the show would have turned out if they kept it as an episodic Star Trek type show hmm. that just kind of kept the season one feel and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, momentum to it. I, I, I it, it would be an entirely different show than what Babylon five turned out to be, but it could be equally awesome just in a different way. I have, I totally agree. I, I in fact, I almost, I almost kind of wish that there were, that there were two series running concurrently. There was like a Babylon Five, just day in the life, dealing with the Centauri, dealing with the Narn, dealing with you know a random holy man showing up or whatever, and then there was like the big space opera saga, and they were two different because I mean that's you know that was kind of JMS's revelation that he had in the shower was that his show about daily life on a Casablanca style space station and his idea for a giant you know space opera could be combined, and I appreciate that. But it means that you only get that first part for a while, I guess. You know, we we yep. do get we do get more of it in season two, but with a with a slightly different cast, and so it's not quite the same show anymore. It's right. interesting, yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to that. We'll 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 blow up that Babylon station when we come to it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, we've got six more let me see no we got one two three four five six we have eight more episodes to go we're going to cover three tonight 
And then in our two weeks from now, we're going to cover three more really big ones. And then two weeks after that, we're going to do the last two uh, from season one. So I'm very much, very much looking forward to these next three weeks as we put a bow on the package of season one of Babylon 5 and move forward. So tonight we're going to be looking at Grail, Eyes, and Legacies. We're still in that period where they like to have the one-word titles. And, uh, <laughs> and so we're going to have fun talking about those. But I do, before we get into it, have to remind everybody uh, if you're listening to this show on the White Rocket Entertainment Network podcast, uh, remember it's now available on its own podcast feed. So just search for White Rocket Babylon 5 on your favorite podcast app or service or go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, where you can find all of our past episodes, specials, bonuses that we decided to do. And there's a big button there that lets you become a patron. So you can you can go there, or you can continue listening on this channel for a bit longer. So we've added a spoiler section to the very end. So any spoiler comments, big ones, that Andy and I want to talk about for stuff coming up in future episodes or future seasons, we will give a warning uh, before we go through the jump gate into the spoiler section. So be aware, uh, and don't let yourself get spoiled. So Andy, I guess it's time to talk about episode 115, Grail. Uh, so, before we get into the hey, yes. be, hold on. Before we get into that, yeah. I have a fun random fact that I found out that I want to share with you. Oh, goody goody! Let's hear it. All right. So, do you know why uh, the third age of mankind is the third age? Do you know what the first two ages are? I feel like I knew at one point. Does it involve Middle Earth? <laughs> it it does not. Okay, so it, it involves something even better. Okay. So, according to JMS, this is straight from the horse's mouth. According to JMS, the second age of mankind began with disco, <laughs> and the first stage of mankind was everything that came before disco. Wow! <laughs> so that's that's canon now. That that is straight from JMS. So now we know. Oh man! See, I I <laughs> I, I love it. I really do, and I think that's fair. I. I, my impression always, since you asked the question, was that the, the first age was when we were just on Earth. The second age, when we went out into the galaxy, but we're just an infant race dealing with you know the other races. And then the third age, dawning here, is when we become a major power and are no longer you know pushed around by anybody much bigger than us. So, But I like yours better. I like that one way better. So <laughs> we'll go with the disco. <laughs> I like that. So speaking of interesting factoids... Um, Grail is, I, I, I didn't realize that I'd missed, I kind of keep an eye on who directed and who wrote the episodes, just if the, if it's worth mentioning, I don't feel like mentioning it every single time, but if it's, and often it's JMS, so there's, you know, no big point in pointing that out because he wrote most of the show, but this one is the, um, this is at least the, th this is at least the fourth episode counting the gathering that was directed by Richard Compton. And my understanding was that JMS didn't like working with him and thought he mangled the pilot, the gathering, so I'm kind of shocked that he went on to direct Infection and Believers and Grail. Now, those are three not-as-popular episodes, so maybe he just gave Richard Compton the ones he figured were not good anyway. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
But that's a lot of directing for somebody that JMS said he really didn't like how he did the pilot. I mean, are you surprised by that? I, that is a little bit surprising, but maybe he was cheap. <laughs> maybe that was it. Now, the I mean, other I mean, if, yeah. if he came, you know, at a, at a low price and, you know, yeah. say what you will about those episodes, he, he is at least competent, you know, for the most yeah. part. He, he knocked it. Maybe, you know, there's a time crunch and, and that was just his go-to guy that he knew could get the job done for a, a low budget. Well, I got to say, Infection and Believers and Grail, I didn't have any problem with them being like dark and everything like The Gathering. So maybe they had a talk and he quit doing whatever it was he had done that kind of messed up The Gathering. Remember, he made it really dark and there, yeah. was, there were several issues that we talked about back on episode one. So you can go back and listen to those, folks, if you want to hear what we were talking about Compton before. But I put all that away after we got done with it. Well, the other important note that I wanted to throw out there about Grail is this episode was written by Christy Marks, a writer who did gaming and comics and stuff like that. She also wrote for Captain Power, which was JMS's show for a while, which would explain how they knew each other. And it doesn't just end there. This gets really complex. Okay, Here's this in a nutshell. I'll, I'll whittle this down as quick as I can, but this is really fascinating. So Christy Marks worked for JMS writing Captain Power, came over to Babylon 5 and wrote a script, wrote this script, but she was married to Peter Ledger, the Australian artist who did the original concept art for the show. That wow. If you Google like Peter Ledger Babylon 5, you will see some really quirky oddball art which was what they used. It's what JMS used to sell the show when he carried, you know, when he did his traveling road show trying to sell Babylon 5 to different networks and, and, and studios. So Ledger did a lot of graphic design in Australia. He worked for Marvel Comics in the 70s. He, he drew some Conan, Star Lord, and Weird World for Marvel, hmm. interestingly. And he created the Babylon 5 logo and art for the station. Um, and then. Uh, during the first season, right after the first season of Babylon 5, right after Christy Marks, right after his wife's script was produced for Babylon 5 in 1994, just after that first season wrapped, he was killed in a car accident in California. Oh, wow. So this, I'm telling you, this is like down the rabbit hole with Babylon right? 5. You know, when they say there's a Babylon 5 curse, I have a hard time refuting that. Because right? think of all the people that have passed away after being involved with the show. It's pretty terrifying. You know, my wife and I were, were watching Legacies together, and there is a scene there where um, three, three of the characters are on the screen, and I look at my wife and said, nobody in this scene is alive today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, think, I feel like uh, Claudia Christian got attacked by a dog or something and could have died, too. Holy crap, I didn't hear about that. I, I think she had to have plastic surgery. Several years ago, she got like bitten in the face by a dog and, and barely got away and, and had some damage. I feel like that's wow. true. I may, not, I, I, that may have not have been. I, I'm, I feel like that's true, but I can't guarantee it. Anyway, and here's one other funny connection I have to all of that. In 1998, when there was still a Babylon 5 track at DragonCon, and yes, for those that don't know it, Babylon Dra DragonCon used to have an entire convention track just for Babylon 5. It had its own room and had nothing but Babylon 5 events for three or four straight days every year, which is kind of mind-blowing to think about today. And 
one in nineteen ninety eight they had a Battle on Five trivia contest and I was in it against two other people and on the final Jeopardy question, I was ahead, but the others were close enough that if I didn't bet, you know, very much, they could pass me. They were just barely behind me. <laughs> and, and so I decided I would rather bet positively on myself than gamble against myself, right? So right. I went I went all in. I said, I'm betting everything that I'm going to get this right. And the question was, the host held up a poster and said, who painted this? And I just banged my head on the desk and said, well, that's it. I lose. <laughs> and it was the production art of the station painted by Peter Ledger. Wow. So I've never forgotten that name since then. <laughs> right. <laughs> For- hey, a friend of mine, uh, um, Thaddeus Papke, has been to your LARPs at DragonCon, your Babylon 5 LARPs at DragonCon. Oh, We were wow. talking about... We were talking about the podcast the other day, and he told me, oh, you know, I've been to his, some of his, his LARPs because I used to live down in, in Florida. I used to drive up for, for yes. uh, Dragon Con for the Babylon 5 LARP. So, yes. small I, world. It's amazing. I remember that Florida crowd. There was, a, there was a young lady that was in their crowd that was the seamstress, and she was amazing. And she created all these amazing Babylon 5 costumes. She had a Neroon costume for herself. We're going to see Neroon tonight. Yeah. And she created a bunch of others. It was really, there was a Pac Marah that was just amazing. You know what? I know his his wife is an excellent seamstress. I wonder if that was her. I'll have to ask him. That may be. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, I haven't talked to them in 20 years, so I don't remember. Because they also did a bunch of Farscape stuff. They all showed up one year in Farscape costumes. And I was like, that's, back then, I was like, that's for a show I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> but I've watched it since then. I'm like, wow, they had really good costumes. All right. Let's get into our, we've got to do the summary. Do you want to do the summary for Grail or should I? Uh, you can go ahead and. Is there a B plot for this episode? There is kind of a B plot. They they are so intertwined though that it kind of it's just kind of one blob of a plot. All right. Well, I'll lay I, out. I mean, I, I I can do the rundown if you want. I'll lay out what I can remember, and you tell me if I'm leaving something okay. out. Because all I remember, I just watched it a couple of days ago, but all I can remember of this of this episode plot is that Aldous Gaik, David Warner, shows up on the station looking for the Holy Grail. We'll get into why. And um, ends up getting involved with Jinxo, a construction worker who was there on all the previous stations. And um, I'm sorry, my computer did something funny there. And then um, we get involved with Deuce, who's like a underworld figure. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a hard episode to describe, isn't it? No wonder you it didn't is. want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you stuck me at TKO last time, so I don't that's want to hear it. Tr- that's fair. You're exactly right. So if I were to split the, the plots up, the A plot would be the search for the grail, and the B plot oh, okay. would be the uh, the criminal organization okay. um, and the attacking of the the uh, lurkers down below with the, the, the creature. The Nakalin Fida. Right. And they, they kind of track separately for a little bit, but they, they intertwine very quickly once Jinxo gets, in, gets involved. That's what it is. They, 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 they combine together much sooner and much more comprehensively than the A and B plots usually do on this show. So it right. just feels like one big plot. So, okay. Right. Well, that, well, that makes sense. I, I was afraid I'd forgotten, like, you know, a telepath. I was afraid I forgot Bester shows up and <laughs> does something or whatever. <laughs> like, what am I forgetting here? All right. So any discussion before we get into our categories? I'm like, it's it's this is an episode that when I think about it, 
and I've said this before, like some of them, when I think about them, I can't even remember what they're about. And Legacies was one, which we'll get to in a little while. But this is an episode that when I think about it, I go, oh, that one's not very good. But then when I actually watch it, it's better than I remember. And I know we've said that about some others, but that's particularly true here is I found myself pretty into this one. What did you What did you think along those lines? I, I agree. They toss a lot more uh, history of, of mm. uh, the cultures and of the station itself out there. This was the first mention of any of the other Babylon stations, or at least their final fates. Yep. Um, so they, they had a lot of big information in here. This one, for me, when I first watched it, it was kind of like my Believers episode. My uncle was in from he's a he was a missionary priest in Indonesia and was visiting the United States and uh, I was watching this Babylon Five and he came down and sat down and watched it with me and I was so excited because I'm like you know I knew he was into Star Trek back in the day so I was like you'll love this one Uncle Tom you'll love this this show <laughs> and then when we got done with it he, he just kind of looked at me and went hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this one wasn't the best one. <laughs> uh, you and but, me both, man. We've been there. But yeah, but I, you know, watching it this time, I, I didn't cringe like I thought I was going to, and uh, I, I got into it. It was kind of neat. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and a lot of that is David Warner. That's going to take me right into the high point of the episode. My high point of this episode was David Warner, just because. He's so good. He's been in everything. He's been in everything science fiction. He was just an institution. In you know, if you have a science fiction movie or TV show, at some point you got to bring David Warner in. It's just kind of like the law. And yep. he's he's so good. Um, but he took a character that could have been ridiculous and gave him yep. depth and decency. And I cared. And that's not easy, especially with you know it. Because this was kind of a contrived episode. I, I don't know that I really bought the way Delenn and Lanier behave. They behave completely different than they normally would. And, yeah. you know, they're like super cynical about everything else. But, oh, a guy shows up looking for the for a cup about some religion I've ever heard of. Yeah, he, he's a great man. We have to go meet him. <laughs> I'm like, really? You don't? Okay. And Delenn, Delenn kind of explains that. Um, yeah. Towards the end, she said it, it, it wasn't really what he was seeking that yeah. may or may not be. It's the fact that he was seeking. He is a true seeker. And it, that wasn't even in the end of the episode. That was towards the middle when she was talking to Sinclair. Yeah. He's a true seeker, and for that, we revere him. Not not for what he's seeking, but for the fact that he is seeking. But you're right about the, the actor. He, he brought a, a gravitas and a, and a solemnity to that role that it really didn't deserve. Um, but like you said, the, the character concept and his whole arc was really kind of ridiculous, but uh, he totally sold it. Yeah, yeah. So what was that your high point of the episode, or is there something else? I had two high points. That was one of them. But the other one, and this is going to sound really goofy, but I loved the creature effects. I thought, yeah. you know, as, as much as we bang on, on the CGI for the spaceships and the explosions and the cheesy make up for the other aliens the the creature effects for the seeker were really well done that they, they were um mechanical effects when he was in the environment suit the the uh the knockoff kosh mm -hmm. suit but it was cgi when it was moving around and it i mean it looked like 90s cgi but i mean it wasn't it it, it didn't look bad on the screen you know when he was mm -hmm. moving around i thought it added a, a nice little bit of of um alienness to what we normally get where like you mentioned, the guys with the, the the bumpy forehead is what we normally get. So I thought that was that was really well done. I that was the moment I thought I was going to cringe when it came out of Kasha's environmental suit, yeah. um, and it really it, I didn't cringe. I was like, oh wow, that's not bad at all. 
for the yeah for the time and for what they had to work with and everything it really was it was just great it was great and it was it gave them a chance to use an alien that was not remotely humanoid like you said that's that was a big thing because they'd done enough of that and they needed something different and and the cgi let them do it and um yeah i i was i was impressed I, i'll i'll even go so far as to say this and it's i know it's heresy as much as I love Negrath, this thing was more impressive than Negrath, and Negrath is, pra- is a practical <laughs> effect. So, I'm, I'm, this is true. Negrath's gonna put a hit on me now from the from, the, from <laughs> down below. Uh, low point of the episode. What was your low point of this episode? The low point for me was when Jinxo uh, was first walking into um, the uh, the uh, casino, and uh, I, I forget what what what's the character's name. The the, the guy seeking the Grail. Oh, Aldous Gaik. Yeah, yeah. When Aldous Gaik was at the ATM pulling out his cash, and Jinxo was supposed to, you know, kind of pick his pocket, kind of brush yeah. up against him and pick his pocket, and it was so clumsy and so poorly done. I mean, I I was in um, uh, the Oliver Twist play when I was in in high school. And we did better pickpocketing on the stage than than this guy did in, in a TV show. I mean, it was real. It was really just really bad. I yeah, that's fair. I, I you could have just stopped at Jinxo, honestly, for me. <laughs> I, 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 you know, uh, go ahead. I was going to say that I was surprised to find out that his last name wasn't Plexico because he looks so much like you. Oh God! <laughs> oh my gosh! We have to end the show now. I have to go kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, a very young, maybe a very young Van or a, a close cousin or something like that. Because I, it, I had to do a double take. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to change everything I was about to say because I was about to really criticize his looks. <laughs> um, he was he. There are there were several low points this episode. Obviously, just Jinxo in general uh, was one. But I'm going to um, come back to that with my random factoids thing. I also. Because I, I just felt like they needed a different actor for that part. It just would have been a lot better with a different actor. Um, one of the things I was really wondering, why did they... F- I, I asked this question up front, which was, why did they feel the need to pretend like or to try to fool us, the audience, into into thinking that the knuckling feeder was Ambassador Kosh? I mean, Deuce even goes, isn't that right, Ambassador Kosh? Ooh, you know, in the in the tra- <laughs> in the in the in the in the, uh, the cold open. And I'm like, why not just, why, why do you have to, you've got this scary alien, why go another layer? And I read, read up on it, and it turns out that in an earlier version of the script, Kosh was supposed to appear out of nowhere at the end and kill the feeder himself and then say, I mean, I mean some things we do not allow. But, <laughs> but JMS decided that was unkosh like. And it copied the ending of Deathwalker. So they dropped the Kosh comes to the rescue at the end ending, but that still left because it, because you know, Emmett pretending he was Kosh would bring Kosh into it. So if Kosh doesn't come into it, why did they have to pretend like he was Kosh? And I mean, I know that they were trying to use it as some kind of, you know, way to scare people, but I think this telling them you had a knockaline feeder would have been just fine without saying we have Ambassador Kosh eating people's brains or something. I, I just didn't understand the point of pretending it was Kosh when clearly you could see in the cold open that it that it was a fake suit, you know. It didn't work the same right. way. So Right. I, know, I agree. Was, that was kind of a low point. The other the other low point I had, I didn't like David Warner's costume. I, I didn't like that he looked like he had joined up with some kind of organization that gave him a 
shoulder cape and a mantle, whatever, and a logo on his breast and Gandalf's staff. Right. That, that just didn't make. That didn't work for me at all. The whole right. That was they. They oversold that aspect of of the character a little bit. Yeah. I I didn't understand why he was dressed that way or why he was carrying a a stick and what good it really did other than just beating people up. So, but anyway, and does he really go through? Apparently, he's traveling all over the place. They really let him through customs carrying that stick. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, you gave the low point, right? I did. All right. The Orenzento Overacting Award, our new category that everyone loves, I hope. Um, For the Orenzento Overacting Award this time, it was really hard to choose because you got a lot of candidates in this episode. You this is this episode was like directed by William Shatner, not Richard Compton. This episode <laughs> had some scenery chewing moves in it. So Deuce, you know, William Sanderson is a weird case because I would argue that William Sanderson always both overacts and underacts at the same time, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like he always sounds like he's reading the script rather than performing a role, and yet he also overdoes it. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what to do with you. Know, I just I see him and I think Deadwood and I think this is my brother Daryl and mother brother Daryl. Yeah. And, and Blade Runner, of course. He's been in everything. Yeah. But what do you think of his acting? Does he does he did he get the award for you from you or somebody else? Yeah, no, and yeah, he definitely got the award for for this one. And you mentioned Blade Runner and he did a fantastic job on Blade Runner. Yeah. So I, I maybe maybe it was just the material. Maybe he just didn't buy into it or something. I don't know. But yeah, he he was not I, I agree with what you're saying though. He's he's a bad actor in that he, his line reading is very dry and very over the top at the same time. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was the same character in Deadwood. He just owned a hotel in the West instead of being a thug on a space station. Same exact character, you know. I, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to take your word on that one. I've never seen Deadwood. He's, he's like the sleazy hotel owner that like tries to get in on all the criminal activity but is too inept to ever you know do a good job of it, so he always gets in trouble. Um, gotcha. It's well, well worth watching Deadwood if you can get past all the extreme language every five seconds. But anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I had a note here that Jinxo doesn't so much overact as just be weird. I, yeah. I, just, I just don't know what to do with that guy. I, again, I have some notes about him coming up at the end, but what is the deal with him? I, I, I think that was he was just a very uh, bad actor. <laughs> I mean, it it, it just it, it just all up. comes down to that. He's you know he's he's a high school drama type actor, and he's he probably wasn't uh, wasn't the best for the role, I guess. And I I, I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast because I'm sure he's a very nice guy. <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice. Well, if he's still alive, I mean, given right. the, given the <laughs> right. show, my gosh. But I, you know, the thing that immediately put me off of him is in the opening, the cold open segment. He's supposed to be in mortal danger of losing his life at any second, and he's grinning. Right. And I'm like, is that just your normal expression? Or did they tell you make a face like you're scared and you made a face like you just won the lottery? Right. I, his, his, his facial expressions don't even come close to matching what's going on. He, I, maybe yeah. he just has a funny-looking mouth. 
I hate to be so mean to the guy, but it's just it just puts me completely out of the episode. He just about ruins it. I don't know. JMS said that there was something about this episode he really didn't like, but he wouldn't say what it was, and I suspect that's what it was. That could um, be. Could be. Uh, what was your most Babylon 5 scene this time? The most Babylon 5 moment I have, uh, two of them actually, mm-hmm. it was when Jinxo was explaining his, his jinx, the curse, mm-hmm. um, because it gave the whole history of, of all the Babylon 5 stations and, and their, their untimely demises. Um, so I thought that was really cool. That was that tied into the greater arc of everything. And also when Sinclair and Delenn were talking to each other, uh, I mentioned this earlier, and she is saying, she's talking about um, the Seeker, and those that seek are, you know, to be revered. And then she points at him and says, you, you need to look in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, suggesting that he is a true seeker as well and just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, I think that's what I noted. I, he, when when Jinxo leaves at the end, Sinclair says, I wish him luck. He's probably the only true seeker we have. And she says, then perhaps you do not, you do not know yourself as well as you think. So right. we, are, we are to understand that Sinclair is a true seeker, but we don't know exactly what it is he's... he's He's seeking, and we do later get a line from Sinclair, and I won't say when or what the context is, so it won't be a spoiler, but he does later acknowledge that he's always kind of been not certain of where he's going, and so that's interesting, I think. It fits, it fits the yep. character more than, than I first realized. So yeah, I had that one, and I also had Ivanova at the end saying, there's uh, no boom, no boom today, boom tomorrow, there's always a boom tomorrow. <laughs> that's such a Babylon, it's such an Ivanova scene, it's such a Babylon 5 scene, it's even on t-shirts. Right, and that is, that is probably the most Babylon 5 line in the entire series. I, I love that line. <laughs> It caught me by surprise. I forgot it was in this one. Is it the very yeah, end? I, yeah. Right. I thought it came later in the series. I, th- I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. When when she dropped that, I was like, oh my god, that's the line. Yep. Yeah. There's t-shirts. You can get them that have that on them. So because everybody loves Ivana. Yep. Uh, let's see. What's your favorite character moment this episode? My favorite character moment was when Londo was chastising Veer for his efficiency. Londo was trying to shake them down for uh, <laughs> uh, the, the 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 seeker was was going to each of the uh, um, ambassadors, uh, oddly except for Jakar, looking for any clues they have on the Grail. And um, Veer jumped in and said, "Oh, I found all this information for you here. It's on this data crystal." Meanwhile, Londo was trying to shake him down, saying, "Oh, it's very expensive to look for all this information." And the look he gave Veer was just hilarious. Oh yeah, it, 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 it was a good it was a good little scene. It was it was a uh, very much a Londo scene. It, well, it fit their two characters so well because, of course, Veer is just going to do anything he can to help you and do it for free and work yep. overtime. And Londo's not going to do anything unless it benefits himself financially or power wise. Right. So, yeah, it, that was very. It was a very compact way of, of of showing both of their characters. I thought, which is really good. I had um, um, Sinclair telling Kosh, "You make people nervous," and Kosh says, "Good." <laughs> <laughs> I like a good Kosh moment. And JMS said that he always tries to have Kosh say as much as possible in as few words as possible. So when he can get it down to one word, he feels really good about himself. And he said, he said when, when Kosh says one word in this episode, you should be scared to death. And I'm like, yeah, he, he likes being people <laughs> be nervous. So I like that a lot. Uh, let's see. My funniest moment was when Londo found out there was a Nakaline Fida 
on board, and he just freaks out. And for the whole rest of the episode, he's like afraid to go out of the door. <laughs> right. And Garibaldi even runs the thing on him where he's like, you know, when it's really quiet, that's when they're about to get you and all that. <laughs> right. So I, that was my funniest moment. What about you? My funniest moment was Ivanova's boom line. That was that's yeah. it, it would she it was so deadpan and it was so perfect and it was uh it was like I said it was the line of the series for me. It was just hilarious. That's another thing that our rewatch so far has done for me that I've mentioned this previously more, multiple times is it's really made me appreciate it. I just took Ivanova for granted all the time. I realize now. I look back now and I realize I was focused on, you know, Sinclair or Kosh or the Mimbari or whatever, I was, or, you know, Londo, Jakar. I was focused on all the flashy stuff. And Ivanova is just the solid backbone of this show. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can appreciate I was looking, that more. I was looking back through my notes, and I, I saw that she either had the best character moment or the funniest moment or the high point in almost every single episode that we've done. It's true. For me, anyway. Yeah. No, it's true. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's see. Um, notable guest stars. We had David Warner, and I mentioned already Aldous Geck. I assume he was named for Aldous Huxley and for Mira Furland's husband, Goran Gajic. Yeah, um, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's where they got the Gajic part from. Yeah, they are from Yugoslavia. I'm not sure if it's Croatia or Serbia, somewhere in there, one of those places they're from. Somebody, I'm probably Serbia, but I may be wrong. I think it's Serbia, though. Um, William Sanderson, we already talked about, was on Newhart, Deadwood, and Blade Runner as Deuce. And Tom Booker was the poor son of a gun that I've been dragging through the mud. And that let me transition that right into my random factoids and notes, just because that's what I the big the first one is. Is I have a note here. I said Jinxo looks like Jay Leno, which sounds kind of like Jinxo. And he always looks like he's <laughs> grinning happily. So when he's being threatened at the beginning, it's hard to take him seriously because he looks like he's smiling about it. And it just never gets better after that. So right. I, that's the last thing I'm going to say about Jinxo. I just wish they'd find another actor. Um, <laughs> uh, let me see. I got a few other factoids, and we'll see if you have any. You've already given out a big factoid. Do you have any others you want to throw in? The only one I want to throw out is the uh, the opening court scene when yes. the ombuds is is t- uh, talking to the uh, the two. The uh, uh, the guy that brought brought in the his case, and yep. it was about uh, how his great grandfather was abducted, and he points over at the the defendant that supposedly <laughs> abducted the alien. It turns out it was one of the uh, one of the greys that you know is in popular mythology of abducting people with uh, their uh, their spaceships at night and their anal probes and cow t- <laughs> tipping and all that stuff. So I thought that was that was a really funny little scene. And then and then he asked he asked for the guy's response and the alien holds up a picture of a of a crop circle and the ombuds <laughs> is like, Can anybody send in a translator please? <laughs> that is so brilliant. The, that was a that was what happened was that Christy Marks' script came in under time. And so JMS just wrote that scene to fill out the hour. That's but funny. It served as a good introduction for the ombudsman, though. Yeah. And the story of the ombudsman is that was a Harlan Ellison thing. Harlan Ellison pointed out to JMS when they were first starting the show that you know you wouldn't need the commander to solve everybody's problems. There would be somebody that would just handle small claims, you know, like Judge Wapner kind of thing, you know. Right. And that would be an ombudsman, which I'd, I'd always heard that title, but I had no idea what you did as an ombudsman. But apparently it's like a small claims court type person. 
Yeah. And I'm not sure if the aliens in that scene are the Vree or not. It's it, They look like the Vree because the Vree fly around those flying saucers that we saw in Death Walker, I believe it was. And yep. they look like that, but there's... there. They, but that may not have been the Vri. That may have been a cousin of the Vri, kind of like the Romulans to the Vulcans. That may have been the ones that like go around kidnapping people. We'll see another race that kidnaps people later. But I love that they're being sued for alien abduction. The kidnap victim was John Flynn, the show's director of photography. He got a little screen time there because they needed somebody in a hurry, so they just stuck him in front of the camera. And, um, I, and I thought it was cool that we got an introduction to the ombudsman before he was needed for the scene with, with you know, with Aldous getting robbed and everything. And we yep. found out there's there's, a, there's another ombudsman named Zimmerman. Yep. So that was who gets all the better? He gets all the better cases. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I want to see a I want to see a night court series based on the the ombuds having all those cases. That would be hilarious. Oh well, I've said all along we need to see the night. Command yeah. staff, Major Atumbe. Yeah. Dude, we can make a million bucks on this. We need to pitch this to Warners. <laughs> Babylon 5, after hour, after dark. Right. But it's always dark <laughs> in space. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, you mentioned we get our first real explanation of what's going on with Babylon 5, including I think this is maybe the first time they talked about Down Below. And I don't yeah. know if you know, that. I think the term Down Below comes from C.J. Carolyn Cherry's down Below Station, which is a novel set on a space station. And yep, so JMS kind of borrowed that, yeah. Um, we found out that Babylon 1 and 2 were sabotaged. Babylon 3 blew up before it was finished. I think at that point, humans would have said, we're done. We're not building any right. more of these. But they, <laughs> then, they then built the biggest one of all, Babylon 4, and it vanished without a trace. I wonder, I wonder Andy, if we'll get an episode anytime soon that addresses that at all. I don't know. I, I sure hope so. I hope so. It'd be cool. Uh, this is cool. You hear the term cycles used as a time reference a lot in this episode, but it's the only episode where you hear that, and it's because they changed it. JMS changed it to hours, but he changed it after this episode had been filmed. So yeah. they, they couldn't do anything about it. That's why you hear I, cycles. I noticed, yeah, I noticed that too, and I'm like, this is the only time I've ever heard this, and yep. I don't ever hear it again. I'm sure yeah. of it. He says it's a continuity glitch, plain and simple. Nothing we can do about it. There you go. There you go. Um, here's a question I have. I, this is bugging me, bug me a lot. The Minbari tell Aldous that there are only two castes, religious and warrior. And that's all we've heard about so far on the show are the religious cast and the warrior cast. Where's yep. the freaking worker cast? Because we know there's a worker cast, but they never get mentioned. What's up with that? Right. I, I don't know, and I think that is also a continuity error. I don't think that I, I don't think there's any other explanation for it. Because I mean Lanier and Delenn would be two people that would know the number of casts that the, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So they, I, I, I don't I don't know. Well the the phrase they use is they build, you pray, we fight. Exactly. Yeah. And everything in the Membari do is in threes. Yep. So there you go. All right. Well, We'll find out. Uh, oh, th there were a couple of music bits. I'm sorry, I have a lot of little tidbits from this episode, but there was interesting things. JMS told Chris Christopher Frankie, the composer, no more funny music because <laughs> there are a couple of scenes with Londo where the music's like, you know, usually it's like that synthesizer heavy, bum, bum, yeah. bum. And then there was a couple of scenes where like, bum, 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 and JMS <laughs> is like, no. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. So this is the only episode where you get kind of whimsical, funny music in, at all. Right. At all. 
And then lastly, the question I have, why didn't the Nakaline feeder attack Aldous? That's a good question. Maybe it also recognized a true seeker. Ooh, maybe the Nakaline is a true seeker for the Nakaline. Right. Well, yeah. She. The, uh, it was mentioned that they are uh, semi-sentient. That they're yeah. not just complete animals. So, who knows? Maybe. Yeah, maybe they, there's something to that whole true seeker bit. Somebody asked JMS why they just shot the thing down like an animal when it was partly sentient, and he's like, "Well, it was committing all kind of crimes, basically, murdering people." Right. So there you go. Who won this episode, Andy? This is our new category. Who won? Is this our new one? Yeah. Who won the episode? This is our new one, and you're going to hate me for this, but I think Jenks won this one. Oh, God. And the show well, is done. You, We're done. Think about it. It's a wrap. He, the, from where, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to edit this out because that just that's funny. Uh, <laughs> Jinxo started out the episode about to be killed. You know, he was in yeah. dead. He was a complete loser. He had zero life. He felt he was stuck on that station for the rest of his life. And he had so much weight on his shoulders. And by the end of the episode, he himself is is a true seeker. He has he has been released from all of that that anxiety and all that fear that was crushing him down and ruining his life. And now he's going to go out and he's going to become like this you know this this holy being on a on a on a quest. And I thought you know as far as character arcs go, that one was pretty spectacular. I mean, it wasn't executed terribly well by the actor himself, but as written, the arc was the he he definitely won that episode i'm just so depressed now because (laughs) because i i think you're i think i I think you're right i think you're right and i don't want you to be right but i thought when you put it that way i'm like yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say aldous won because he was nobody died well nobody took him seriously but by the end he proved to be brave and worthy and 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 everybody respected him there you go but i think you're right that jinxo went even further thomas thomas All right, I think you're right. I think you're you're right, and I'm wrong. And I think that freaking Jinxo Thomas won the dang episode. So I'm glad you know, it's a matter it. it's a matter of opinion, Van. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Yeah, but I think you're right in this case. I think I was wrong. Uh, what did you give as a rating for this episode? And we had I, we had more to say about this episode than I thought we would, and that's cool. That's interesting. I, we yeah. may have the the next one is one of my favorites, and, I, and we may not have nearly as much to say about it just because. You know, it goes where it goes. We'll see. How did you rate this one? What, on a scale of I gave, uh, I gave this five. one a, a solid. I gave this one a solid three stars. I was I was more impressed. I, this is one of the ones that I that I thought I was going to hate. Yep. Uh, simply because of how I remembered it, and it uh, again the the um, the actor for the for Aldous really elevated the role, and uh, Jinxo's arc was really well done, and and I thought uh, had plenty of action. We it, we. Uh, they dropped a lot of information in there, the cultural information for the, the Minbari um, a little bit, and also the information for all the Babylon stations. I gave this one a three. I was I was surprised by this one. Mm-hmm. No, I get you. I would have give, I start this one out at a three, and I take away one star for Jinxo being so horrible, so I give it a 2.0. <laughs> 2.0, 2.0. All right. And now ima- imagine if that actor were one of the actors in Believers. That, that would have just oh, been like the... God. Oh, that would have man. been like a black hole for you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, I don't even think about it. All right, let's move along to 116 Eyes. And again, I got to say, this is one of my favorite episodes of season one. It's one that I always kind of go back. This is what I would call one of the most rewatchable episodes of season one because there's some just some neat character stuff in here with Sinclair. We haven't had a, you know, we haven't had a Sinclair 
Sinclair-centric episode in a while. Yeah. And this one is very Sinclair-oriented. He can, he kind of gets the spotlight again, and he gets to. And it it also this episode um, brings together a lot of the long simmering subplots where he's found creative ways to to handle crises knowing that it was ticking off his superiors back on earth and this is the episode where he gets the you know there's payback coming basically right the consequences so, for all of his actions yeah yeah so you you want to do the summary for this one uh sure there are uh two um i guess they're called eyes internal investigations i yeah. believe the two eyes i i Two eyes come on board to interview the Babylon 5 command staff, uh, specifically Sinclair, to try to get to the bottom of everything that he's been doing. Um, and what, You know, I don't remember that. What is the B-plot in this? Was there a B-plot in this one? Um, this isn't the... No, this isn't the motorcycle. Oh, the motorcycle. Yeah, this is the motorcycle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eh, that's for, is this that's the motorcycle pretty... one? Yes, it I, is the motorcycle one. The the B plot is so minor that I completely forgot. But it's it's more of a comic relief thing than anything, and it's it's given very little attention. But yeah, right. in the B plot, um, uh, Lanier walks into uh, um, Garibaldi's quarters, and he's working on a a an ancient antique, a nineteen ninety four ninja motorcycle <laughs> which which he kept saying was so historical and i don't remember the ninja being all that historical but i guess <laughs> back in 1994 it was you know poised to be a historical motorcycle anyway he was trying to rebuild from scavenged parts this uh motorcycle without uh reading japanese so lanier <laughs> helps him build the motorcycle there you go yeah that was a very minor one but it was cute it was just it gave them something to do so right right but yeah this is all about the sinclair and the eyes uh, Colonel Ari Benz, uh, Ben Zane, uh, yep. and and his and and Mr. Harriman Gray, a psychor telepath who came along with him, and I really really like this one because, like I said, it 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 I, I assumed watching this show originally in '94 that the that the premise of the show was Sinclair finds creative ways to get out of stuff, and so. Time and again, Babylon 5 sets something like that up, and then you get a resolution. You get a, a crisis. And I didn't. Yep. this is the first time you kind of really get that. And I was like, oh, we're dealing with that now, are we? Wow. <laughs> so I've always had a soft spot for this one. So what was your high point of this episode? My high point was the scene between Sinclair and Ivanova when she walked in to resign over mm. the fact that uh, she didn't want to get the mind scan from the, the psy cop. Um, I thought that was extremely well written and extremely well acted on on both parts, um, and it was a very powerful scene. Yeah, once again, Ivanova comes yep. to the rescue. I, my high point was Sinclair standing up to the colonel at the end, and I like the idea that you know we've already established that Sinclair was not like in the top twenty probably people that were you know that were proposed by Earth to lead the station and the Minbari. You know, I said before, they kept vetoing until they got down to Sinclair, which basically means the Minbari picked the commander of this Earth station because they just kept saying no until they got the person they wanted. So they basically right. picked him. And so the colonel was jealous that he didn't get the job. And so he's on a, he's like, he's both been sent by people who don't like Sinclair to, to go after him. And he's got a personal stake in it, which is going to prove to be very important as we go along. So I love Sinclair yeah. basically standing up to him. Like, you know, 
he Sinclair had several moments where he stood up to to Ben to to Ben Zane and and told him to yep. you know go jump off a cliff. And if if I remember correctly, Ben Zane was one of the ones that the Minbari turned down. He was actually picked above Sinclair. Yeah. And he was turned down by the Minbari. So yeah, he had that little extra special annoyance with Sinclair for he, oh, he yeah. felt like he stole his job. Absolutely. Can you imagine the series if he had been the commander? <laughs> no. No. Oh, that would have been an interesting. Uh, yeah. There's a there, there must there needs to be an alternate universe mirror universe uh, story out there where he's the station gets blown up like halfway into season two because he screws something up because he doesn't know what you know, he's, <laughs> he's so emotional and angry. Right. Uh, my low point of this episode was the guy in the casino hitting on Ivanova just walks up and starts fondling her hair. I'm like, right. this would be bad enough if it were basically anybody he was doing that to. <laughs> it, it just makes it all the worse that it's Ivanova who's going to kill him, which is right. in some ways better, I guess. But also, right. you know, but who does that? I, the, it, it was a little over the top. Yeah, yeah. Like 2258, not a good time for sexual harassment, apparently. Right. Um, what did you have for the low point? My low point, and uh, shockingly, it involves Ivanova's... Uh, it involves Ivanova. It was her dream sequence. Oh. That was so horrible. I mean, it was like something out of out of a, a soap opera. I mean, that you had her walking around in, in her her nightgown and the smoke and the lights and the strange goofy masks. That and, oh, it was just hor- It was cringeworthy. I I I just my wife was watching it with me and she just looked at me. And she she said, "What is this nonsense?" <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a horrible moment. I thought that was a a low point for this series. And here's a little secret. It's not the last time we're going to see this kind of thing. Yeah. It's not the last time we see a dream sequence type mystery thing like that. It's just not. Well, and dream sequences in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. And I know the other dream sequences in the, in the series are, are sometimes cheesy, sometimes really well done. This one was the lowest of the low, though. It was it was just really. I mean, even the lighting was like from a from a a, a daytime TV show. I mean, it was mm. just really bad. wasn't great. I agree. No. Um, the Oren Zento overacting award for this episode, I think, is pretty obvious. I think there's like a slam dunk. There is a Michael Jordan of Oren Zento overacting awards in this episode. Who do you have for it? I think they should rename this award as the Ari Benzane Award because, <laughs> holy cow, the guy could overact when he was just staring off into space. I, I was floored. My wife even pointed that out, too. She goes, oh, my God, he's overacting, and he's just sitting there staring at nothing. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I'm on the floor. That's exactly yeah. right. Exactly. I just feel vindicated when we agree on stuff like this because I'm like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel pretty strongly, but Andy might see it a different way. So, yeah, he – I was I had it down right after I watched the episode. I I tend to be able to imitate people in the in the moment, but it get fades. But he was kind of like, "Now listen here, Mister, I'll have you before <laughs> yeah. the firing squad." And everything he says, he's like his wife in the morning, be like, "Honey, would you like some orange juice?" Now you listen here, woman. You go and get me some orange juice. I don't take this kind of thing. That, that's that's just horrible. What the heck? Yeah, it, it was it was uh, yeah. He was. Seriously chewing up that scenery. Oh, good lord! Good lord, he was. Um, I mean, it's it's funny too because he had a great look. I thought yeah. he really kind of captured a kind of a General MacArthur kind of vibe. Yeah, with that 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 glaring 
scar on his face. Yeah. And, yeah. But but the but the oh lord though. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. what was your most Babylon Five scene? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> the, the most Babylon Five scene was the interview with the uh, that Sinclair had with the uh, the the two eyes. I thought that was really powerful scene. Mm. Well, I had the dream because really not because it was great or well executed, but just because <laughs> you get some of that psychor Susan, her mother, and she does yeah. about as well with it, I think, as she could have. Right, right. She so, yeah, she had nothing to do with the failure of that scene. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a very Babylon five scene in the sense that we got more stuff about the Psychor. And it's and again, like I said, it's the this kind of thing we will see again later, so it is kind of a Babylon five thing. So Right. Um, and yeah. that that uh, the reason I didn't pick that scene was because it had information that we already knew. The information yeah. that we got from the, the interview with the eyes you know, about him being passed over and, and that information I thought was, was new and very pertinent to the future of the series. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, let's see. What was your favorite character moment? Favorite character moment was Ivanova and Gray when their interactions early on. Um, he was he was earnest about, you know, trying to present a good face of Psychor to her and he was compassionate about her um about her plight, about what you know her parents went through or what her mother went through, uh, so I thought their interactions were were both very in character and were were very well done. He he just kept messing up was the thing. He he didn't mean right. to. He meant <laughs> right. well. He right. meant well. He just kept putting his foot in it. It's like he'd get her calm. He'd get her calm. She'd be like, well, maybe he's not so bad. And then he'd say something innocent, and it would just be like, oh, I hate you. I will never see you again. You know, and it's like, oh, man. Right. So poor poor son of a gun just couldn't win. He just couldn't catch a break. Uh, Talia right. kind of has that problem with Susan a lot, too, by the way. We'll get to that. Um, no, you're right. That was it. Funniest moment for me, I'm, I'm not sure because I think it might be uh, – Ah, Mr. Garibaldi, I was just about to embark on a journey into the mysteries of the fuel injection system. That's that's not bad. Um, and then I think when Garibaldi calls the colonel Colonel Ben Hitler, that was that was yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> Especially when you consider he must have been an Israeli, I guess, because he's Ben Colonel yeah. Ben Zane, whatever. So that was interesting, Colonel right. Ben Hitler. And there was another line. I have this not line here, but I can't remember now the exact context. If I kill him, it would start. A, oh, it was Garibaldi to Lanier. He's off to the aside. He goes, "If I kill him, it would start a war." Right. Like he wants to kill Lanier, <laughs> but he's afraid to. That's funny. So those were my funniest moments. Did I? My funniest moment was, and I, I, I don't. I, again, I don't remember the context of this line either. Um, but he was talking to somebody, and he said, "That makes me nervous, and I don't like to be nervous because it gives me gas." Was that Garibaldi? Yeah, Garibaldi said that one. And <laughs> I a, wish I could remember what it was. It was it, <laughs> who he was talking to, but it was I, I mean it was he was deadly serious about this and then yeah. he goes and it gives me gas and it, <laughs> it just made me crack up. It was really good. I remember that line too and I don't remember who it was. It was it wasn't it wasn't Sinclair Ivanova. Maybe it was Ivanova. It was somebody no. yeah. I, I think know. I think he was talking to uh uh Ben Zane, either Ben Zane or to uh, the 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 psycho Gray. guy. Gray, yeah, yeah. By the way, he was named Gray because he was kind of a good guy and kind of a bad guy, so he was Gray. Yeah. Um, let's see. Did I mention, by the way, that this was a Larry Dottilio episode? You did not. We didn't have any Dottilioisms in this show. No, but yeah, you're. Well, there's maybe. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, right. Notable guest stars: Gregory Martin. Chewing the scenery is Colonel Ari Benzane. 
Uh, Jeffrey Combs was Harriman Gray. I really don't have anything to say about either one of them. I've never seen him again and, and don't care to. Um, okay, I had a note here. Along with Death Walker, this is one of my really favorite early good Larry Dottilio episodes. So there we go. Um, I have a note here. Sinclair is not in this one as much as I always think he is. Because I just now said it's a Sinclair-centric episode, but it's not. But it's still more focused on him than the last right. few have been. Uh, let's see. I, I was going to notice note when you said that the motorcycle was from the early '90s. I like how in so many science fiction TV shows, whatever quote ancient past unquote that they happen to reference is usually the time period when the show was originally filmed. Right. So they don't say, "Oh, it's a motorcycle from 1974" or "a motorcycle from 2021." It's a motorcycle yeah. from 1990 freaking four. So there you go. It's, right. it's always, it's, <laughs> you know, when Star Trek would go back in time, they'd they'd go to the 60s. You know, every time they go to the yeah. 1960s. So well, there's uh, a formula for that. They would always throw out a really ancient one from like the Greek era, then yep. they would throw out one from the 20th century that the current you know, viewers would recognize. Then they would toss in one from a hundred totally, years from now. That totally made like, up. Who's that? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexander the Great and General MacArthur and Gugus Bugus. Those right. three guys, <laughs> man. Those are the three right there. Yeah. Especially old Gugus. Um, it took an hour. It took one point four hours to download the station's personnel files. What are they? Are they running computers slower than they made the the, the CGI on? Good gosh. They need yeah. to go back to Microsoft technology or something. I don't – 1.4 hours for personnel files? Good gosh. It takes about 1.4 seconds. Maybe it was um, in a blockchain and they had to you know, decode everything. That's good, that's good as anything I can think of, sure. Uh, I had a note Ivanova kicks butt again. I think that's fair. Uh, she oh. really kicked butt too. She really kicked butt. They had to call the she cops did. in to break up the fight because she was single-handedly handing everybody their their butts. She was doing that. That's amazing. Um, we do. I have a. I have in. It's funny you said we didn't really have a Dottilioism. I have in all capital letters here. There is our Dottilioism. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make this a category because we don't have a lot more Dottilio episodes. Ever, we're we're running low on them at the end of season one, but because um, it's no secret that JMS basically writes the show from the third season on, so and a lot of the second season, so we don't have a lot more of these. So there was no point in making a permanent category, but we do have a Dottilioism. Sinclair says to Garibaldi, "You look like the back end of an Orion Slitch." And oh, I'm like, oh, I missed that one. <laughs> I'm like, Larry, can it not just be like a donkey or why does it why does it have to be a insert foreign you know faraway star and then alien name yeah ah let's go and have a jovian sunspot man you look like uh the rear end of an orion slitch oh look it's an arcturus wombat i mean just god this is my thing i do every week i know people hate it but i'm sorry (laughs) Um, oh, Mr. Bester gets a name check, and Gray reacts with surprise that they know him. That was cool. Yeah. The major who fills in when Ivanova is off duty is Major Atumbe. He gets a name check as well. Um, do we oh, ever meet Major? Do we ever meet we Major Atumbe? Never met Major Atumbe. I like to think yeah. that he looks kind of like the Doctor in The Gathering. Yeah. Or like Yafet Kato, maybe. Oh, there you go. 
I could see Yafet Kato coming on and playing like Major Tumbe and being awesome. That is now my headcanon. There we go. Yafet Kato was set to be a, a guest star for one episode and just couldn't fit into a schedule. Just couldn't fit into a schedule. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Um, we do get another Detilioism, again, in all capital letters in my notes. The guy shooting craps in the casino yells, Three Nebulas. I'm like, Larry, it can't just be three sixes. Why does it have to be three space things? Why? Well, you know, if you're in outer space and you have aliens playing the game, they may not know, <laughs> you know the, the, the Arabic <laughs> numerals. So you got to put something on there that they would recognize. Come on, man. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I guess it could have been worse. It could have been three Jovian nebulas or something. Right, and then I just right. thrown the TV. <sighs> Um, and then on my last note, I, again, I had a lot of notes for this one. Lanier did a very nice job on the motorcycle, but I'm not sure I want to be sitting on top of a glowing radiation bomb. I mean, <laughs> right below my crotch. You know, I'm like, I can just see Lanier saying, well, the good news is it never needs refueling. The bad news is you'll be sterile after one trip. <laughs> right. Lin- Lanier's family line ends with Lanier. That's it. Yeah. Because he sat on a motorcycle. He had no idea what he was doing. All right. Uh, who won this episode? Uh, I do have a random fact for this episode. Oh, my bad. Yes, go ahead. Um, there was a scene when Lanier is meditating and he is chanting Zabagabi. Mm-hmm. That is the title of his rock band, which was at the time an actual thing. Yeah. His rock band's greatest hits album was called Zaga Zabagabi. So he was chanting the name of his wow. greatest hits album as a way to kind of uh, you know get in a plug, and that pissed JMS off. He he got <laughs> that mummy got in a lot of hot water for that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What? But who would have known that during the show? You wouldn't have. You wouldn't. I mean, if it was like if he was chanting, you know, subscribe to AOL Online, <laughs> America Online, or something, and get twenty bucks for it. But who would have known that before then? Yeah. Apparently, oh, JMS did because he, he did not. He was not happy with with Bill Mummy at all. Oh, well, too bad. Well, for two reasons. One, he didn't like the, the him throwing the plug in there, and the second one was he hated it when actors um, oh, yeah. kind yeah. of uh, went off went off script because he didn't want them to mess anything up. You know, because right. it was oh, yeah. so tightly plotted and, and continuity was so important. He didn't want them to accidentally mess something up. Oh, 100 percent. That's exactly right. I just. That doesn't seem... Yeah, I guess in principle, but still. Okay, who won the episode, Andy? I think Sinclair won this episode. Um, they they came in with, with uh, both barrels trying to knock him down, and he ended up not just not getting removed from power, but he ended up uh, knocking the other guy down. I thought that was... Again, Sinclair grabs defeat from the jaws... Or the, the, uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. Um, unexpectedly, and uh, he he definitely shined in this episode. Even though he wasn't in, th- in it that much, um, he was the one that came out on top, I think. I think that's right. I, I have a note. Ivanova, Garibaldi, and Lanier all survived this episode, but Sinclair won it. <laughs> Sinclair yeah. figured out how to beat the colonel, and he won it. You can also argue Gray had a little victory because he realized the truth of what was going on and took action, so that was good for him, too. Yeah. But but I think, yeah. yeah, it was Sinclair. All right, how'd you rate it? I gave it a three stars. I thought it was a solid episode. Okay. Okay. I gave it a 3.5, but I was bouncing between that and four, and there was a time I would have given it a four. I really do like this one a lot. I just, I think what it is is I like the other episodes this season more than I remembered, and so they kind of caught up to it a little bit. Yeah. So, so in other words, this one wasn't so much better than all the others as I remembered it, and so 
because um, it really is in my top three or four or five episodes of the whole season. But um, but yeah, I'll go with I'll go with three point five. But it's a three point seven five, I guess. <laughs> I knocked half a star off for uh, uh, Gregory Martin's acting. Yeah. Yeah, his his character would have been a lot more powerful if he were a little bit more understated, I think. Yeah, there was nothing understated about, <laughs> about that. Even the scar wasn't understated. The scar was like it just happened while he was shaving that morning or something. Oh, God. Yeah, no kidding. All right, we've got one more episode to go, and I think this is actually kind of an interesting one, and you'll be interested to know who wrote this one, I think. But um, we first got to quickly thank the folks who keep our show on the air. If you want to help shows like this to continue going, because we have lots of bills to pay and lots of equipment to pay for, go to www.b5review.com. That's where we keep all of the stuff. We'll be posting our specials and other uh, various uh, freebies and features for our patrons. And go and click on the button that says Become a Patron, and you can join up and become a patron of our program. And we thank everybody who is a White Rocket patron every episode. So let me quickly thank all of our great patrons, including Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willa Carden, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy W.D. Ritchie, oh, we gotta get better at celebrating, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, Colby Butler, and Danny Flack, Plus, just a few more. Man, we are so grateful to have all these fine supporters keeping us going. Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, <clears throat> Sarah, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, and Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tigers, Staying Alive, Staying Alive, Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis. These folks know that when they put whatever in the name there, they can make me say it, and they just put stuff in there to make me say it. <laughs> Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Regas, Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull, Albrecht, Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zabachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brett Rains, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, and finally, Mick Vichicana, Paul Bankson, Public Land Owner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. That's a lot of names to have to go through, and I know you guys are like, hurry up, hurry up, move along. I want to hear the last episode. But we have to thank you guys because we do a lot of shows here on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. We have On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast about James Bond. We have the AU Wishbone about Auburn football. We have the Babylon 5 Review Podcast. And we have the White Rocket Podcast where we do everything else. And that's four different shows we have to support. So we would, we appreciate it. We thank you all for your support. All right, Andy, are we ready for legacies? 
We are. You know, I think you should lean into the selling point that you stated there, that it, it makes you say funny things on the air. I think that should be your primary selling point for the, the Patreons, because I, I want to buy one now just to make you say something funny. That's great. Yeah, and, and I actually, for the longest time, we didn't even really think about that. And then what happened was on the Wishbone show a couple of months ago, people were emailing me saying, well, I want you to say something different. I'm like, well, I read what's on the patreon page so if you want me to see something different go in there and change it and they started going in there and changing it so <laughs> i've been getting some really interesting things on there lately so yeah um so yeah whatever you want to put on there is your name that's what i'll read within reason within good taste and, and decorum this is not an this is not an adult only show so oh i like it 117 legacies this is the last episode of season one not written by jms which is interesting um, so no more Detilios for a little while. This episode was written by Dorothy D.C. Fontana of Star Trek fame, and she also wrote The War Prayer, which I may not have yeah. noted. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. So I'll give a summary right quick because I actually typed one up for this one. A girl entering puberty exhibits telepathic abilities, and the crew must decide whether to turn her over to Psychor. Meanwhile, the corpse of the Minbari military leader who oversaw the Battle of the Line, Branmer is the focus of a diplomatic incident when his body disappears. So we got some good... Uh, this is interesting because this is one of those episodes I can never remember from the title what's it, what it's about. I, I see legacies and I'm like, I have no idea what that right. episode is about. But it's actually got a Psychor thing and a Minbari military thing, which is two fairly interesting topics, right? Yeah. So what are your general thoughts about this one? Then we'll get into the categories. Uh, this is this is a really good one. I love the Minbari. They're kind of like the uh, the Vulcans of the uh, of the Babylon Five universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so any insight we get into their and their culture is is pretty well developed and fleshed out, and it's deeper than than what you would find on most sci fi shows. So yeah. um, I, any insight we get into that is always a plus for me, and I really enjoyed this one. That's true. They're and they're, they're more than more so in this episode than than previous ones. I think. You can see where where JMS kind of le- leans on Asian archetypes a little bit. They're very Japanese in a way, almost. They're almost like samurais. It's almost like an episode yeah. of Shogun in a way. And their music too. My wife even pointed out their music sounded very Asian. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I I can I can live with that because it gives us a touchstone to understand that they are like us, but they're kind of alien in a way as well. Different culture, yep. different way of thinking, different societal structures, all of that. And, and, and using like the, you know, I'm a big fan of Shogun, and this is kind of what it reminded me of, is like if Toronaga and his court had come to visit, you know, and they'd all had their samurai swords and been walking very solemnly and slow and, and have very little patience for the other people, you know, like Sinclair would be like the British ambassador, you know, and they'd be very brusque with him, you know, which is basically what, uh, what um, Nerun was. So very interesting. So what was your high point of this episode? Uh, my high point was the insight into the Minbari, the Minbari culture, especially the warrior cast. We haven't really seen any. I mean, we've seen bits and pieces of them, but to see their their dive a little bit into their culture and their military tradition, I thought was really cool. And the friction between the um, uh, the military cast and the uh, the leadership cast with uh, Lanier and Delenn, I thought well, that was really kind of cool too. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, my high point was at the end, and I may mention this particular line later, I can't remember, but at the end when Sinclair and Nehrun kind of make up and and yeah. become more buddies than enemies, 
And there's that great line where Nerun says, you talk like a Minbari captain, our commander. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So that was good. <laughs> that was, I like that. I appreciated that a lot. What was your low point? My low point was, uh, a, a Lys- was it Alyssa or Alicia? Alyssa. The, I have young, Alyssa Belden, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was a horrible actress. Just yeah. really yeah. bad. Poor thing. So, yeah, she, they, <laughs> that was the low point for me was any scene that she had to speak in. She was no Jinxo, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was not. She was my low point as well, her acting. I, In fact, I'm going to carry this over into the Oren Zento Overacting Award or the Oren Zento slash Ari Ben Zane uh, Overacting <laughs> over Award. We have to change that. Um, I have a note here. Maybe Alyssa Belden underacts because it's it's like I'm I'm gonna amend it just for this one episode and say it's the it's the it's the anti Orenzendo Zento underacting award and I'm giving it to her because right. I feel like Neroon John Vickery as Neroon he's a little operatic but I think he just keeps it under control I don't think he ever quite rises to the point of, right. of being ridiculous he 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 gets right up to it. And yeah. then he and then he pulls it back down. Would you agree? I, absolutely, especially in that final scene that he had with Sinclair. I thought he he came through with very understated and, and very powerful acting. Yeah, yeah. So he he has the potential, right, <laughs> to, to get him a Zento. But I think he didn't. I think it's going to have to go to Alyssa Belden for underacting in this case. All right. You know, she, there were scenes where I could have sworn I thought I saw her looking off to the side at the cue cards. <laughs> <laughs> like Saturday Night Live. Right. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. All right. What was your most Babylon 5 scene? Uh, the most Babylon 5 scene was when uh, Satai Delen flexes her political muscles over the uh, the uh, Narun and just kind of puts him in his place, and he says, yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. All right, ma'am. I uh-huh. thought that was a really neat, very – it just shows how yeah. – um, how much power she really wields. I mean, she, she's just an ambassador in Babylon five, but she's also so much more than that. And, and she carries a lot of weight within the Minbari government. Yeah. He spends the whole episode swaggering around like a dictator. And then Delenn is like snaps her fingers and he just comes to attention and is like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. Yep. Woo. Yeah, boy. She's like, get your, over here and he's like yes ma'am I'm sorry <laughs> that was interesting I I had for my most Babylon 5 scene Branmer's funeral procession with the banners and the drums and everything because it was again it was very Japanese but it was very Mimbari and it just kind of gave us a taste of that culture that we hadn't really seen before so that was right. pretty cool um, favorite character moment I'll say I thought my fa- yeah, yeah I told you I thought I saw this one later I had this one later my favorite character moment was Nerun telling Sinclair you talk, you talk like a like a Minbari commander that's that's really uh, interesting uh, what was your favorite character moment I had two favorite character moments one was when Sinclair uh, first when Nerun came in um, to Sinclair's office and started just insulting Sinclair. And Sinclair just about lost his temper. I mean, if if uh, Garibaldi wasn't there, there would they would come to blows. There would have been another war. Um, <laughs> I thought that would I thought that was really cool. That was very on character for him. Um, we we don't get to see that him lose his temper much. He's usually the the cool one that outsmarts everybody. But that time he was he was ready to go. Uh, the other one was uh, there at the end when you mentioned. Uh, he and Arun were talking and Sinclair offers to send the message and you could just see the look on Narun's face. I mean, and this was incredible acting on Narun's part because he was acting through all these 
prosthetics, but you could see the look on his face. His face just softens, and he realizes that Sinclair is, you know, just as as, as honorable as he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, good stuff. Um, the funniest moment for me, we get two of the potentially funniest characters and actresses together, where Natoth is like inspecting Alyssa Belden to maybe take her right. back to Narn. <laughs> and it's so ticks Susan off, she says, why don't you check her teeth? Which is like insulting Natoth. But Natoth doesn't get it at all, and she goes, good idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was very clever I th- and, and very well performed by those two ladies, I thought. Yeah. I uh, For my funniest moment, that one was pretty funny, but <laughs> the scene I mentioned earlier when uh, S- Sinclair almost loses his temper, just before that, he chastises Garibaldi for almost losing his temper and said, <laughs> diplomacy, Mr. Garibaldi. And right after Garibaldi has to step in, he looks over at Sinclair and goes, diplomacy commander <laughs> it was very dry humor but i i laughed out loud at that one i thought that was a good little zinger he got got in on his boss that is uh yeah we can always turn to susan or garibaldi one of the two of them will come th- or both will come through for us right. in, that, in that case uh notable guest stars this time john vickery is Nerun. it's not the last time we will see him he's also pops up in crusade as a completely different character which is cool uh we had grace una as Alyssa Belden, and the only other Una I know of is Captain Marvel's girlfriend in the early issues of Captain Marvel. Uh, <laughs> so that was interesting. And then we have a notable guest star, the missing body of Shy Alit Branmer. So that was kind of cool. I've got a few uh, factoids I want to get to, so let's run through some of these, and um, if you have any, throw them in there too. But I've got several that I really want to get to. One of them... All right. At the beginning of the episode, the Mimbari war cruiser shows up, which looks like a fish. I love those. I think they're great. It's a great. It's one of the best ship designs on the show, and they've got a lot of good ship designs on this show, as you know. They do. They do. Yeah. Um, they're so good at giving each race's ships their own personality. You can tell exactly who they belong to, usually. Yep. It's remarkable. Because ours are big, gray, rotating things, totally Earth, right? And the Minbari look like blue fish in the water. So that totally makes sense, right? Um, koi or something. Um, here's what I want to know. When the, when the war cruiser comes in and they got their gun ports open, it almost starts a battle. They're like, oh, they got their gun ports open. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, that's what started the war. How do we right? not know that that's a misunderstanding? How, Sinclair was on the line. Okay, so if you if you remember that uh, that was on my factoid suit in in a later season in a later episode mm-hmm. when that happened when they explain how that almost happens it's only the one character who misunderstands only he knows why he pulled the trigger. Okay. See what I'm saying? So they do, even even to this day they don't know why that guy pulled that trigger and started and started oh, shooting it was because okay. he was freaking out because they came okay. in with it but even even that scene they show him in his gunner's his gunner's chair he's yeah. not communicating with anybody else he's just hearing all the chatter and he pulls that trigger so they never knew so yeah i thought that was because that hit me too i was like wait a minute we've heard that somewhere else yeah. why wouldn't they remember that but then i i thought about it i even went back and watched that episode i jumped ahead a little bit watched that episode afterwards just to see if i remembered correctly and sure enough that's oh. that's what happened well, there you go. I'm glad I asked then. Good job. Good job. Okay. 
Uh, that was a Charlin cruiser. I don't know if they name it. They had a little graphic up there, but I didn't see Charlin. But the name of it is a Charlin. You can get a little model of it from B5 Wars, I think, uh, miniatures. I have. Yeah. I, I don't know where mine is. I used to have one. I had a blue one that I painted up and everything. Anyway, um, you get a lot of Bimbari or Japanese thing I, I noted here. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. The war started with the death of Ducat. And we'll, we'll, we've heard about that in the Soul Hunter, I believe. And we'll see more about that down the line. But... Um, I believe in the, I've mentioned this before, the, the, um, well, actually, no, this is not, I'm not there yet. My bad. So we start, we'll see more about that later. No spoilers. Uh, I went and looked it up in the Babylon five encyclopedia. I have the two volume Babylon five encyclopedia. Branmer's mother was religious and his father was a warrior cast in the star riders clan. We already heard about the wind swords. Now the star, right? It it's funny how the Mimbari cast, uh, the Mimbari uh, clan sound like young girls perfume, <laughs> but okay, whatever. Just but, as long uh, as they don't have a teen spirit in there. Yeah. I am part of the teen spirit clan <laughs> and everybody laughs. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I am a fearsome Minbari warrior. Why do you laugh? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yeah, Branmer was half and half, and that's why he could be both. He was a religious figure until the war started, then he switched over, and then that's why they were fighting over him. They kind of make that clear in the show eventually, but I looked it up because I was really curious. Um, yeah, and I thought that was that was a really cool uh, character aspect, too. I thought that was really neat. It showed a little depth to the Minbari. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the quote was, the holy war against Earth forced him to become a military leader. Because it was a yep. holy war, so that kind of combined the two. Uh, his right. title was Shai Alit, and we, we hear that a couple of times. He planned and led the final assault on Earth during the war. He commanded a cruiser at the Battle of the Line. We, we also learned that the, the Minbari military leader named Sinival committed suicide rather than obey the order from the religious caste to surrender. Some, yep. of, them, some of them surrendered. Some of them didn't like it. Here's the thing. This is what I was getting at earlier, but I had to. I was thinking about Branmer and Ducat. There's a lot of there's a lot of random dead Membari to keep track of. <laughs> Cineval in the dark, distorted mirror. I've mentioned this before. There's that gargantuan, humongous alternate universe fan fiction. If you Google Babylon Five Dark Distorted Mirror, you'll you'll find it pretty easily. In it, one of the major characters in the entire epic is Cineval because he doesn't commit suicide. He's a major character Ooh. all the way through it because he doesn't because the battle of the line goes differently and he doesn't commit suicide. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's, that's intriguing for people. Now I mean understand this this is if you were to if you were to print out Dark Distorted Mirror, it would look like you printed out like five Harry Potter books. It's humongous, <laughs> but it's so good. It's amazing. Okay. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. We get the Lort finally name checked. That's the big giant heads, but they don't have their faces don't really move. They got big giant brown heads. The Pak yeah. Mara get mentioned, and we actually have a conversation with the Pak Mara. That may be one of the few yeah. times we actually hear a Pak Mara talking. Well, he was talking through his translation machine. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's see. This episode really pitted Ivanova against Talia because they were fighting over what to do with the with Alyssa. And so I thought it was interesting that uh, Ivanova and Talia just, it's like they clearly want to be friends, but their, their career choices and priorities keep forcing them to be adversarial, not enemies, but adversarial, at least an adversarial relationship. And it's just interesting because you can see that both of them occasionally feel bad about 
being mean to the other, but they both feel like they have to. So there's a really right. interesting there's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. Yep. Uh, we find out what happened to Ivanova's mom. She took sleepers for ten years and killed herself. Uh, the the Narn makes slaves of the races they conquer, according to Ivanova. That was really something we knew before. They're maybe not as good as we thought. Uh, we talked about Delin giving Narun a direct order from the Grey Council, which is like nuclear in force. That was interesting. Right. And then Delin was thinking about the word chrysalis. Yes. Hmm. 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 Wonder what that could mean. Wonder what that could mean. Any we'll, other factoids? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, I don't have it. I don't have anything else to add. Okay. Who won the episode? Delenn won that episode. She, oh. She, when when she dropped the bomb on Narun, I, I I wanted to get up and just cheer. I thought, and she has a couple of those moments in the series, but this this yes. was the first really. Uh, I'm the boss here. Get out of my way. And I thought that was really fun. I, I think I think that's that's true. I think there's somebody else that won the episode. That's Ivanova. Here's my rationale. She won by keeping Alyssa out of the psychor. Yeah. Um, and by keeping, you know, Talia was just going to escort Alyssa straight to a ship back to Earth or Mars. By yeah. keeping Alyssa out of the psychor and therefore not leaving the station, she was still around to solve the mystery of the other plot. That's a good point. And then Talia was nice to her afterwards. So win, win, win for Susan. So I think we're both right. They both had a very good episode. So yeah. Although for most of the episode, I was kind of aggravated at Susan because when she gets, she get. We've talked about this before. When Susan gets on her high horse, she's a little insufferable. Right, and, and you know, early on in this episode, when when she wanted to uh, keep the girl on the station, she's you know, I'm pressing charges, blah blah blah. I thought she was being a, a kind of a kind of a jerk about it, you know, trying to mm-hmm. trying to be you know the the the, the bad cop, you know. But yeah. then I realized that she was doing that because she didn't want her to go with Talia. Yeah, yeah, she she was. Um, that's interesting. Her and I think Claudia Christian's performance is really great there, and in a lot of these type of situations where, on the outside, she's tough as nails, hard. That's what she leans on. But you yeah. know that inside, she's freaking out. Right. And she does a really good job where you can see that she's she's depending on her rank and her position to give her the ammunition to win these conflicts, but inside she's just desperate and grasping at straws because she's freaking out about anything to do with the psychor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Um, how did you rate this episode? I'm curious. This one, I gave a 3.5. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I enjoyed a lot of the, I, again, a lot of the Minbari stuff. I thought that was neat to see mm-hmm. uh, an insight because we don't get a whole lot in the first season um, we don't get a whole lot of insight into Minbari culture, especially the, the warrior ca- cast. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I kind of geeked out over it. I, uh, like I said, the Minbari are favorites of mine. So this one is a, is a 3-5 for me. You know, I hadn't thought about that, that you don't get hardly any. Um, yeah, it's all later on. Yeah, we'll get a lot right? more Minbari later on. But yeah, in the first season, they're kind of a mystery other than Delenn. And she's a mystery too. So right. I gave this one a 2.5. It's mainly just because it's kind of one of those episodes I can never quite remember uh, within about a week after I watch it, but it does have some good stuff. So yeah, good, good kind of right in the middle, two point five. Yeah, um, and that's mostly for, like you said, mostly for the Mimbari stuff we learn, which is very useful. So okay, um, any last thoughts about this one or any of the other two episodes we talked about tonight before we talk about what's coming up? Uh, no, sir. All right, our next, we're going to do our spoilers in just a minute if we have any. I don't have a whole lot this time. Um, our next installment. 
And for those of you that want to bail out now, let me go ahead and tell you what it'll be. We're getting it. Man, Andy, it, these were fine. These were good episodes. We've had a good time. But it's about to get real up in this base station. Right. <laughs> it's about to get real. Okay. Yeah, these these were all yellow flag laps leading up to this one. Now the the oh. the, uh, the green flag's about to drop. Green, green, green. Go, go, go. One eighteen, a voice in the wilderness, part one. One nineteen, go figure, a voice in the wilderness, part two. And one twenty, a funny little titled episode called Babylon Squared. Hmm, what could that possibly be about? So, yeah, do not miss our next episode because those three are kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. All right. Um, And then after that, we got another kaboom coming. So, and if there's not a boom today, there's a kaboom tomorrow. (laughs) There's always a kaboom tomorrow. This is a boom. There's always a kaboom. This is your spoiler warning. So, if you are following along with us episode by episode, we love you. We're so grateful to have you, but you might want to duck out now because we're going to talk about stuff that is not within the confines of the first 17 episode so we'll see you guys down the road next episode otherwise hang around and here we go now again i don't have a lot um the whole chrysalis thing we had to talk about that you and i both kind of indicated a minute ago we wanted to talk about this yeah that was in what was it gray gray found that in her mind no that was uh Alyssa. oh Alyssa. Uh, Alyssa. yeah 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 because she was talking to her and it just popped out yeah, I, I, I forgot that I was thinking psychor telepath, but she and she wasn't that. But yeah, exactly. She's a wild telepath, and so she heard the right. word chrysalis. And she's a she's a P ten. They mentioned so she's yeah. like the peak. So that's why she could pick up such deep deep inner thoughts so randomly. Doesn't that mean she would like automatically be put into the into the uh, psychop program? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's. I don't think we ever see her again, though, do we? We don't. Yeah, she, we don't, that, and we don't see we don't see Mister Gray again either. Those no. are two characters that that would be interesting. And I, I think uh, I, I'm glad we didn't see her again because she would, <laughs> unless yeah. they recast her. Yeah, I yeah I she would have been interesting though uh, to come back later on if they ever did like the telepath war, right? Because we get we have Talia, we have Lita was still kind of hanging around with a, you know the different yep. personality and. Uh, we have Matheson from Crusade. There's quite a few telepaths yep. that could have been brought in for that, right. and it would have been interesting. Ironheart is still out there somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and that was one scene I meant to mention to you when 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 they're arguing over the Psychor and and Ivanova mentions Ironheart, and Talia's like, "Don't you ever mention his name to me?" Right. And I'm like, she gets and pissed. I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, Talia, I understand that you're mad about that, but Susan just was absolutely nail on hit the nail on the head with that yeah yeah like where were you i thought you were here on the station when they came and tried to kill him and you helped him right How, did you just forget all that somehow like <laughs> what the heck so yeah that was interesting um we mentioned the casts already so that wasn't as much of a spoiler as i thought um I, but I, I thought it was interesting that they brought chrysalis in this this early because yeah. i don't remember that at all no, I didn't either. When that when that showed up in the final episode, I was like, "Oh, you know, that's that's all of a sudden." It's like, where did this come from? But they were laying the groundwork for this even back then. Absolutely. So I thought and that, I, yeah, I thought I did, that was cool. I, I didn't notice it either. In fact, I never noticed it before. Now I don't think. Um, yeah. Th- the other thing, this gets to the order of the episodes airing versus 
filming versus writing and all that because right? there's all these different orders you can watch these in. We've been going with the we've been going with the order they originally aired in in 1994, and that's that's the order I kind of wanted to do because that's the order that most people saw them in. But right. um, the 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 one thing that JMS has said he kind of wished he could rearrange is that there's um, there's a moment maybe in this episode I feel like or somewhere that he says he wishes had come after uh, maybe a voice in the wilderness. I'm not sure. It's because something to do it's something to do with the chrysalis, the triluminary, and Delin that she has something in this episode. Did she did did she didn't have the, the triluminary in this episode, did she? I don't think so. Not that I saw. Nope. She didn't bring that up. Somewhere along she has it and then she gets it. Right. But but you know what? The funny thing is, if there was anything in Babylon Five that I wouldn't object to that being done, where somebody has it before they get it, it's the triluminary because that thing bounces all around through time anyway. So right, exactly. You know, I mean, who cares? <laughs> that thing's been everywhere, all up and down the timeline. It's just a rubber yeah. bouncing ball through time. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't really have any other spoilers. Do you have any spoilers stuff to talk about? No, uh, I, I briefly mentioned the uh, the season three episode, but that really wasn't a spoiler because that no. took place. That particular scene took place before the series started, anyway. So right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking you were referring to in the beginning. No, I was referring to uh, what was it called? Uh, a late delivery from Avalon. Oh, okay. Well, that's the other Remember? one where we get yeah. the weird. Mike, yeah, Michael Michael York is the guy that started the war. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's why he was. That was a very Mash-like episode. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But that reminded me of like yeah. the episode on Mash where there was a guy that was thought he was Jesus right. because of something. Yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, I think that'll do it for now. Then, so yeah, not a lot of spoilers for this episode for these three episodes. But I think we'll have a good bit to talk about next time. So yeah, everybody, tune in in two weeks when Andy and I talk about uh, a Voice in the Wilderness one and two and Babylon Squared. You know that. Uh, I don't know if Andy and I are trained, but Zathras is trained in crisis <laughs> management. So we'll be ready. And I'm, I'm afraid that episode is going to be like a three-hour episode because we got so much to talk oh, about. Gosh, I know. God, well, this one went on longer than I thought because we found a whole right. lot to talk about even from the even from Grail. All right. But it, well, but if I you edit out the, the five minutes of my laughing, I think we'll <laughs> Oh, that's my favorite part. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I think it's because we're having a good time and we're finding lots of fun stuff to talk about. So as long as your wife and my wife don't want to kill us for staying too late, I think we're doing, <laughs> I think we're doing fine. I think people are enjoying our shows. So, In fact, I was going to tell you, I've, I've gotten a little bit of feedback from folks on Facebook and Twitter saying that they are really enjoying our episodes. And I think it's because we've really hit on a formula uh, where we're not just we're not just rehashing the episodes. We're finding interesting points to go into and to, dis- and to discuss. And I think that's a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. All right. So I'm going to keep spreading Great. the word. Spread the word, folks. Get more folks to listen because we're having a good time and we know they will too. All right. We're going to get on out of here for another episode. Andy, we will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.